0: You are now about to witness the awesome crushing a might Of the You Robinson Show Stop. Woo! Welcome, my friends a show that seemingly almost seven sort of kind of ends. This is the six, seven of the Eugene S. Robinson Showstopper. I'm your host, Eugene S. Robinson. This is the Showstopper. Before we get into it, V67, we have to hear the words that kick it all off. Our bumper music. Stigmata, it's from Calling of the Just. The song is called Intro All of Nothing. It's got the word that's kicked us off since 2007, sung by Mr. Bob Riley, upstate New York resident, singer for Stigmata, a record that's still available from Revelation Records in Huntington Beach, California, where they hit your car with a hammer, go online, Go to the search bar, it's not easy to find. Type in Stigmata. Calling of adjust Just. They have other records out. Wait, this is the one. Calling of adjust Just. Order it. You won't be sad you did. Until then, Bob Riley. Singing the words. Well. I'm on my way back nowhere. But I could not see so clear. I'm taking a real good look at you. A real good look at your face. So be in payback in full always. Nothing. All right, my friends. My minor friend. All right, let's get the the viewer donated ball. blue balls. The ball Hey, what was that little dog we used to have again? The little one that we used to dye pink? You know the one that died. Oh, yeah, the little snowballs. Okay, all right, there we go. Little snowballs. I'm thinking you can hear me. As usual, if there is a problem during the show, at Eugene S. Robinson, Twitter. Tweet it. It'll come up on this display. During the show, I I can see it, and I won't interrupt the show, and uh, I will know a few things about a few things. But let's get started right away. Oh, okay. So uh, if you're watching the game, Warriors are ahead, and then you don't need anything, though. It's the third quarter. Uh, uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, if you're watching the show, that cat who just said, I don't know that he wants his whole name. Well, Belvin, how about that? Is that you in the photo? Dan, you look familiar in that shot. Did you guys play around the Philly scene much? Maybe I saw you live back in the day. The reality of it is you're confusing me with Patrick from Sadistic Exploits. He was a black guy in the Philly band back in the early 80s. We had one show booked in Philly. A rain came through, flooded out the basement club, and so Whipping Boy never played Philly. Um, So those of you who are on Twitter now simultaneously tweeting while you watch the show, you can let dude know, cause I can't, I, I can't do it with one hand. Um, anyway, so let me, let me before we get into the fight stuff, and this is not a fight show, so I can, I don't have to get into it, but I want to. Uh, I don't have to, I get to. I want to talk about Rocket Man a little bit, cause uh, Kasha and I are going to cover it on You Kill Me. So I'm watching Rocket Man. Everybody says it succeeded in the way that uh, Bohemian Rhapsody didn't succeed. So Bohemian Rhapsody, a biopic, a musical biopic about Queen. V Rocket Man, a musical biopic about Elton John. Now, as luck would have it, the huge Elton John fan in 1975 specifically resonated. Someone saved my life tonight. It was a great song. Everybody, all when I was at camp in the summer of 75, everybody loved it. Yeah, okay. In 1975, I was 13. So song is held up over time. It's about uh, uh, his suicide attempt. Someone saved my life tonight. Sugar Bear. Out of whatever. Who knows? So, uh, and I'm watching these movies, and both of these movies have a couple of things in common. One, most specifically, they have in common is a lot of man kissing. There's a lot of man kissing. Now, I, I'm not opposed to man kissing, I feel fairly neutral about man kissing. Um, but I'm happy to see it on screen because it, it, what it does is, um, you remember it wasn't too long ago that people had, had homosexuality was like a a medical disorder, right? A psychological disorder, which we talked about this on the show a few weeks ago when we talked about how I think trans is past life imprinting, but homosexuality I think is biologically driven. So, you know, Bill Burr does a good piece on it about how he was angry at some woman who accused him of homophobia because he looks up and he he sees two men kissing and he kind of made a face and he says he's not homophobic. His mind just wasn't ready for it. He goes, like, if he was gay and he's walking down the street and he's seeing a hetero couple make out, he might be like, why don't you guys get a fucking room? You know, to each their own taste is I think the point that Bill Burr was trying to make. But I I like the idea that these movies normalize it to the point uh, that it's just... People that you see kissing on screen, right? No amount of move, no amount of seeing men kissing on screen will make you a homosexual. As far as I know, the only thing that makes you a homosexual is a penis in your mouth. And they have been uh, like that Republican cat who got busted working as a, a male escort. He made made the bold public claim that because he was a male prostitute, it had no bearing on homosexuality. Like, there are many, you know, uh, 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 lesbians who work as escorts. In other words, they choose not to have sex with men in their romantic lives, but as a professional deal, they'll do it. So he was making the claim, just because I suck and fuck for money uh, doesn't mean that I I enjoy sucking and fuck for money. And indeed, he, he might be telling the truth. Oh, really? What happens at your job if they stop paying you? Now, you've also heard me talk about that ex of mine who was, like, angry with me inexplicably because I talked about an ex-boyfriend of hers who she described as omnisexual. I said dude works as a male prostitute during the day, and before he gets home at work, he likes to wind down at a gay bathhouse post-work. So he's having homosexual sex professionally, and he's also having homosexual sex to wind down. There's nothing omni about that. Well, you're suggesting I was his sugar mama. I said, you suggested that. I didn't suggest anything. I just said the guys seemed pretty defined in the sexual preferences, and they didn't include a lot of vagina. On an hourly rate, eight hours of having sex with men for cash, then winding down by having sex with men for free, doesn't sound like a guy who has much time in his life for vagina. Unless that vagina happens to be paying the rent. It yeah it's the truth it fucking hurts anyway she got over it so i'm watching this movie and i'm meditating on the nature of of, of man kissing and then i think you know what it's interesting it's inter- we've almost successfully gotten ourselves in 2019 to a, a generalized comfort with with uh cinematic displays of, of homosexuality i mean this is call me by my name Pretty much every single movie that my wife makes me watch, with the exception of Brokeback Mountain, we haven't had a chance to see yet, it it, it 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 comfortably establishes a place in a modern reality for people who have same-sex attractions, and as far as I'm concerned, totally cool. But then I start to think, I say, yeah, well, okay, what about heterosexual, sexual depictions, cinematic depictions? And then I was suddenly shocked that despite the vast profusion of it, the commodification of the sexual, which is damn near endless, there's something wrong. Something smells in Denmark. What is it? Much like I don't see enough people who look like me in movies, I don't see enough people who act like me or think like me in movies. In, in fact, the normative power of movies indicates to me that people in Hollywood are thinking about things not at all the way I think about them. I've talked about the car, the Corvette that pulls up in a in a blast of cinematic mist, pulls to the side, the red door opens, and a, a black shod, high-heeled shoe steps out. And a, a camera pans up to some woman, and this is short... Hollywood shorthand for hot. Now, I've noticed something in my time in the industry. When I became editor-in-chief of Code, a men's fashion magazine, all the gay men on my staff were panicked. And they said, Eugene is a fucking homophobe, and we don't want to work for him. And a departing woman from Condé Nast said, I don't think he is. We need to give him a a try, a chance. And so they did. I'm a frank talking man. Usually people say that stuff and they're about to be assholes. I'm a frank talking man. And so all the stuff that had been very much part of the fashion world that had seeped into editorial when the woman from Conde Nast was ahead of things, people snapping and meeting and saying, you know, snarky fucking uh, waspish things, not wasp-like, like like white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, but, you know, snappy, mean-spirited. All that sitcom shit, out. I don't conduct myself that way in real life. You got something to say to me, look me in the eye and say it. I told the entire staff, if you feel a need in the middle of a meeting to storm out and slam that door, keep fucking going. Keep going. Because if we can't do business like adults, we can't do business. Got nothing to do with homophobia? I'm not digging on it. You want to be temperamental? Do it on your personal time. Not here. It stopped. All right. So um, uh, I'm doing this magazine, and there's a great shot of a female celebrity. We don't have to talk about who she is. It's a photograph of her, and she's super fucking hot, right? And she's being, she on those, some, some artist makes, I can't remember his name, he makes these uh, 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 like airplane steel, aluminum steel couches. And she is sitting on a couch with a, a, a denim shirt. It's a fashion magazine. We're trying to sell stuff. A very expensive dem- denim shirt that's like unbuttoned to the navel, that her legs are kind of crossed so you can see her thigh. And next thing I know, I'm fighting with the entire staff, which means all the gay men and like half of the women. And they go, You can't run this photograph. Nobody's in this magazine to look bad. She looks bad. I go, What about her looks bad? She goes, Her thighs look too big. Huh? Her thighs—would those be the things underneath her big, giant titties? Uh, yes, Eugene. I go. I think her thighs look great. They look too fat. I go. Never had I have have I had sex, heterosexual sex, with a woman, and I've said I can't possibly have sex with this woman. Her thighs are too big. And he said, "Well, Eugene, it's not what you think about her." It's about what her her people think about her, what she thinks about her. I'm not taking advice on what's heterosexually sex heterosexually sexual from women or gay men. I'm sorry. In other words, I'm not going to sit silently while you tell me what I should find fucking sexy. There's only one thing that tells me what I should find sexy, and that is my penis. And my penis says, this photo is a go. Yeah, well, they sulked a bit, and they ran the photo I like. Nobody complained. Indeed, I got a shitload of letters from men who are engaged in heterosexual sexual behaviors. I guess I can just cut that out and say heterosexual behaviors. But you get what I mean when I double it up that way who were happy with the photographs. And I got into this kind of uh, uh, kerfuffle with, a lot of times, with the sex column. And I'm still doing a sex column. Now I do it for Ozzy, OZY.com. It usually goes on Sunday. This one will be tomorrow. It's weekly. It's called Sex with Eugene. And I started to realize something in a weird way. I am probably, to my knowledge, the only heterosexual male sex columnist in the world. And as evidenced by this, I wrote an answer to some people who were interested in the polyamorous lifestyle. And they were talking about, well, books that they were reading. And I go, reading a book about how to be poly is like reading a book on going, being inside, reading a book on going outside. And the poly community fucking lambasted me. Why? One, because they think they own the fucking rights to polyamory. Some 27-year-old chick is going to tell me about polyamory. One of the first things I did at Stanford and I wrote about it was go to, was go to an orgy. Well, an orgy is not polyamory. What I'm saying is all the shit I write about is shit that I've done. And at Code Magazine, they used to get super women. Oh, you're a, you're a pig. You're, and I said, listen, you're looking at this the wrong way totally. What you should do is look at like I am telling you that God's honest truth from a man's perspective, and your man will never tell you, and other men will never tell you for a couple of reasons. Men aren't uh, aggressively verbal, by which I mean they might be verbally aggressive, but they're not overly uh, uh, verbal a lot of times. And two, a lot of guys are not you know they're not they're comfortable being shot down, shouted down. And I'm not. I'm not in the same way I wasn't shouted down about. The woman on the on the recliner on the cha- on the metal chaise lounge. You, you, there are two things that tell me what's sexy: my penis, my head. You might influence here, never going to influence the penis. And so, once the women who read the column understood, I got no need. I don't live with you. I have no need to lie to you that I'm given the unvarnished male perspective. Uh, I, got, uh, I got I got, I, I got a little bit more respect, and they understood. The poly people, I had Andre Shakti, who appeared at, we had a, a Sex with Eugene live event at one point, was, oh, you don't understand, I go. And finally, I had to say, don't think just because I wear a suit, I'm just a guy in the suit. Everything I write about, I've done. You are not you, 26-year-old. Don't think you're some kind of revolutionary sexual pioneer. You're fucking not. OK? And that is certainly not a heterosexual man. And shout, And these magazines, uh, Code Magazine was not dissimilar from GQ, or all these magazines, you know, Queer Eye for the straight guy. Yeah, I'm hearing a lot of interpretive stuff, but nothing from the horse's fucking mouth. So I say, okay, heterosexual sex in movies is being crafted by people who work in the movies, and it's just like sex columns, it's like anything else. Guys are not going to, either they have really cheeseball conceptions like Michael Bay-esque, you know, that's, you know, the heterosexual creme de shit that's rising to the top in Hollywood. You know, this kind of, this kind of quirky, kink-ridden, there's a friend of mine who used to work at Paramount for 10 years, and she knew a guy, a producer guy, who had the largest library of rape scenes from movies if you say hey remember Buster and Billy wasn't there a rape scene in there? he's got it suddenly last summer he's got it. any movie once upon a time in America the rape scene in the back of the car he's got he's got every single rape scene on video and he has him in a library annotated he apparently is in the cinematic rapes so unless you got had somebody who's got a very specific kink The movies in Hollywood, much like the sex comms in America, like the fashion magazines in America, are put together by people with sometimes maybe not an aggressive grasp of male sexuality. And those people are doing these normative, giant fucking pictures that seep into our heads and sort of affect what our penis thinks it, it, it wants. I used to be a bouncer. I used to see these these women toddling in on these high heel shoes, thinking I got it going on. Talk to them for fucking thirty seconds. I gotta go. Sex is really personal. Sexual attraction really personal. Really, people I like, have said to me, man, you had sex with someone. What the fuck would you do that for? I was like, hey, bro, I got a feeling. I got, I got. It's a soul to soul thing. Was she a 10? They don't all have to be 10s. Now, if you're going along and you got two, 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 you might have a problem or a preference. So I'm starting to think, okay, are there cinematic depictions in rock and roll? Okay, let's see. Well, Buddy Holly was pre-chased. Richie Valens was all hung up on Donna, and we didn't have any of that. Mm, Okay, Johnny Cash. Well, he was more had problems with God, his parents, and pills, and the woman, the women. And there was a little bit of, but he married June, and then that was okay. What other cinematic depictions of rockers? Oh, well, there was dirt, and the boyish Vince Neil fucking faceless women over uh, dressing room sinks you might think a lot of things about vince neil you might think a lot of things about cinematic depictions of vince neil but guys who are pissing in bottles farting in each other's faces dressing up with makeup and but pla- these were boys boys i had sex with a, a young woman once and she was i don't know maybe 23. she said afterward ow. and i go what's that she goes I had sex with a man I was like what man she looked at me you cuz I never think of myself that way I knew something was going on walking through the streets of Queens when I was older people go hey mister when two years before they go hey boy you know black sections of Queens kids call you mister or boy that's it well, at 19 they start calling me mister when I was 13 Boys who I didn't know sometimes thought I was a girl. Didn't bother me. Started lifting weights when I was nine. We didn't start to see real results I was 14. They stopped that. But I didn't bother me. But what did bother me was running up the stairs. Me and a friend of mine were racing up the stairs in high school, and uh, I was beating him. First floor to the fifth floor. It's pretty good in the old Stuyvesant High School building. And he goosed me. I've talked about this before. Stuck his fingers up my ass. I turned around and attacked him and wrestled him to the floor. And as soon as I wrestled him to the floor, I let him go and we kept running. Never talked about it again. Was this homosexual panic? Not at all. The reason why I think men, the two reasons that men might have, three, men might have an aversion to homosexuality. One is they feel they might be homosexual and they realize it's it going to make their lives harder and they don't want, you know, people learn words like sissy and faggot way before they, they have a real grasp of it and they have a generalized understanding that people somehow don't like them. So they internalize this, this, this taste. So you, maybe that's me. That could be. Or um, eh, well, religious lunacy. It all ties into that same thing, that same primary concern. In my instance, it wasn't homophobia. In my instance, it, it, it was, I'm getting the sense that there's a lack of respect here for me as a man. That's it. If the guy had tried to kiss me, I wouldn't have wrestled him to the floor. Go, bro, what the fuck are you doing? Bruising me was like, a, it was like prison shit. I did what I would have done in prison. Wrestle the guy to the floor, let him go. Now, if, it, if this comes, you got something to say, you fucking say it. But otherwise, this other shit seems fucking disrespectful. So all of a sudden, I go, you know, there's a very specific kind of heterosexual sexual orientation that's not captured by the boyish hijinks of Motley Crue in Dirt. Or, you know, think of another movie that has sex as, as a preoccupation. It's either got the, the woman as devil trope, in which case, you know, the woman is the arch villain and the man is a passive participant in his sexuality. Or you've got, you know, these nine and a half weeks, these kind of, or either, you know, if you think that Shades of Grey is made for you, a heterosexual man, you're out of your fucking mind. Not at all for you. you. Men didn't make that book a success. All right, so then you start to realize, fuck, the only movies that they do well for men are action thrillers, right? Fast and Furious, 1 through three, third, third, those are perfect. Perfect. Got fast cars, shit that goes boom, tough male posturing, punches in the face, that's it. But they fail with heterosexual sex. And presumably, these are movies being made by heterosexual men, at least some of the time. Now, what is a cat who goes to film school who puts in enough time to be able to actually give in a budget and a film to make a movie? Where's that guy been? Because I've been that guy in a band. I've been in a band since 1980, been doing music since 1980, and before that, commercials and modeling and stuff like that. So I've been heterosexual, sexual, male sexual orientation, and so I've seen and all of the excess as well. Very different, and I don't see it in movies. I see threadbare, and that goes along with how men are cut short shrift in general. You know, the congenial boob, a la from, from fucking Jackie Gleason and the Honeymooners, to Fred Flintstone, to King of Queens, to Everybody Loves Raymond, to All in the Family, the hapless male figurehead. And people are wondering where the fuck Trump came from. If you deny voice, the the voice that finally speaks will be loud and violent. Like we said, that guy was talking about a moral imperative in regards to the German people and their past with Nazism. You cannot deny a people moral imperative because of some shit that happened. We're talking generations removed now. If Hitler were alive, he would be like 120, not alive. And what happens now, the far right party in Germany is now in the ascendancy, and they're talking about anti-Semitism in Germany, and a German mayor just goes, yeah, maybe you guys really shouldn't wear yarmulkes on the fucking street. And of course, somebody wearing a yarmulke on the street, an Israeli, an Arab-Israeli, is wearing a yarmulke on the street, and he was attacked by a fucking Syrian, which provides fuel for the AFD, and it's like, look, we don't need the sickness that was there, Coming here, we don't, and this is a religious thing. God love you, this is not a cultural thing, it's a fucking religious thing. If you got people who are crazed with malaria, measles, sickness, and they wanna get in a plane and come to your country because they go, oh my God, Ebola is destroying my town, can I come to your town? Most people would say, look, we're gonna quarantine you. We're gonna quarantine you until we're sure that things are okay with the Ebola, with the dysentery, with the cholera, with whatever. With the sickness born of their honor killings in fucking Germany. Guy's sister puts on a miniskirt. He stabs her at the fucking bus station. I'm not making this up. I've gotten a little bit off field, but I'm not making this up. The idea is but largely that um, um, th- we are being ill-served by our our refusal to actually actually... Shut up for five fucking seconds and understand that male heterosexuality is complex, more complex than any movie that you might let on would let you. There is no heterosexual equivalent, and you are i am gonna get arguments from this for fucking Rocket Man or Bohemian Rhapsody. And they say, "Yeah, I understand because this—the the, the the way in which their their homosexuality was manifest was great drama. Telling their parents, do I not tell their parents?" Do I admit it to myself? Do I not admit it to myself? Do I talk to my bandmates about it? Do and then in Mercury's case, oh my God, now I've got HIV. How do I have this inherent drama? Do they love me for lead? Is my business manager, is he just a, a, a bisexual, a uh, 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 cynical opportunist, or does he really care about me? A lot, you know, there's inherent drama. However, and that's fine. However, when it comes to heterosexual sexual depictions and I got to see fucking, you know, the boyish smirking, you know, imbecilic fucking guy playing Vince Neil. Oh, you know, some of the most on season two of Ozzy Confidential, I have an interview, a live interview. Sorry, that dirt on the screen, a live interview with Mr. Marcus. It is one of my favorite interviews ever. And it dawns on me how infrequently we hear from male porn stars. And you can see like Dave or who's it, Bill Burr or Colin Quinn was talking about how the men in homosexual films are just stand-ins for the men who are watching heterosexual porno films. You don't really focus on the dude. I think it was actually Bill Burr who said this. He's just like, I could be there doing that to her, what he's doing. In fact, he is me, and then that you make the kind of jump. But that's, uh, porn is just, porn is like candy, right? There's not a lot of fucking marketing, even though every time I go to the movies, I see these damn, fuck, damn M&Ms. Not a lot of, you know, not a of marketing you need for candy. You know, you like fucking Circus Peanuts, you like Circus Peanuts. You like candy corn, you like candy corn. Like Milky Way, you're like, you know, everybody right, have to fucking sell me a Milky Way. At work, rest and play, Milky Way. Everybody have to sell me a Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of happiness uh, yesterday uh, because of uh, Anthony Ruiz's victory in my neighborhood. I wonder what that means. Anyway, so um, um, it me- it means that I live. I what you mm, take a drink, take a drink. Fuck in fucking this fucking poster. It means that the uh, uh that the, uh I, I live in a largely Latino neighborhood, um, but I. If you got, the, if you think that I was unhappy about Joshua losing, you're absolutely fucking wrong about that. So anyway, so um, there's nothing, there's nothing. I can't think of a single heterosexual, sexual, cinematic thing that accurately represents how it is that I, at least I, like I say, I don't see a lot of people like me, African American. I don't see a lot of it. Sexually speak, I don't. So, Kasha, my wife, said. You know, you should, when you're writing this Oxbow book, you should write it with an eye towards somebody reading it and going, that would make a great fucking movie. And to do that, I'd have to be honest somewhat about sexuality, which I probably won't do. Because, you know, the way Hollywood works, and my experience with Hollywood is that next thing you know, the the movie's going to have fucking penguins with tuxedos in it. Oh, the collaborative process. Oh, it'd be so fucking funny. We'll put in the penguins with the tuxedos. Oh, it'll be fucking hilarious. People will love it. No, they won't. But I think I, I will do that. And and moreover, I have to honestly tell you that this next novel I'm working on, which is two books at a time, yeah, ultimately what I'm hoping is that, uh, I'll, well, we can't talk about what I'm hoping. I'm going to finish a book right now. I want to finish two books. If you saw uh, uh, I Put a Spell on You, the new biography of uh, Screaming Jay Hawkins, I wrote the forward, six-page intro forward for that. So I'm getting my toe back in, getting back in the books. Um, But this one I want to write, called Love, question mark, love, exclamation point. Love, love. My novel will be about sexuality, and I'm gonna see if I can write about it in a really honest way. But this is what fuels this fucking incel thing, this MGTOW thing, this MRA thing, this because no, we removed the more we removed a, a moral imperative. We have removed the voice that that uh, uh, that articulates and explains the position. You're talking about a whole section of people who are not being listened to, and I know it's hard to fucking stomach that when you look at how many male CEOs do we have? How many men do we have that are working in Hollywood? How many male directors are well the, just because they're getting it right? Does it? Just because they're getting it wrong, just because in a position to get it right, doesn't mean they're getting it right. Uh, just because they're in a res- position to get it right, doesn't mean they're not getting it wrong. They haven't done it. And they haven't done it because men haven't been vocal about needing it. And men haven't been vocal about needing it because we can't hear ourselves. And men haven't been able to hear themselves because they got a lot of fucking other shit going on in their heads. Sometimes the shit that's going on in men's heads is too horrible to share with other people. But when I'm doing a sex column, I can tell you exactly what's going through men's heads. Exactly. Without fear of sanction. So if you fucking poly people don't like it, you keep going to the bookstore, buying books on poly, or go to fucking Amazon and see if that gets you very far. But if you're having a heterosexual poly experience, you're dealing with a man who might have different ideas. And if you were smart, you'd fucking listen to me. You would listen to me. Because I got no reason not to tell you the truth in regards to sexuality. Now, now let, let me let me let me let me give you a little bit of an example um, without uh, hurting people's feelings or putting people on front street. Uh friend of mine, <laughs> I'm gonna tell it. Yeah, I don't fuck around. I'm gonna tell you the way it is. Friend of mine is getting divorced, right? And uh, his his wife puts in a call to me. And uh, things progress anon. So I'm, I'm having sex with my friend's soon-to-be ex-wife. hmm And um, now she has, uh, sorry if I'm going slow on this. Uh, this clearly was a woman who's, had sexual contact before. Mm. But the benefits of me being me for as long as I've been me is that people have an inherent understanding that anything could happen. That's why we have sex with other people, because anything could happen. We don't know. But unlike, unlike others, given, like, position and placement as an artist I've been allowed to I've been allowed to engage my intuitive side I painted that painting for the guy who commissioned it paid me to paint the painting and I sat there and I realized I could do anything many of us have that promise don't embrace that promise to do anything as long as it accords with my wishes in the, in the instance of the painting I was already paid for it. you might say I don't fucking like it you fucked me over I don't whatever, as as long as it accords with my wishes, I'm completely happy with it. So she starts, my friend, soon to be ex starts having sexual contact with me. She's had sex before. I don't know if I can really finish this story uh, without getting uh, really frank. And I think I'm gonna have to get really frank with you so then she writes me a letter you know in the days when people used to write letters she writes me a letter and says um, says get, list all of the first that she had with me which was strange given that this is a grown adult female who was married for a bunch of years and um, one of the things she said, I, I'm sorry, I gotta be frank. One of the things she put on her list was anal sex. But she didn't say she'd never had anal sex before. She said meaningful anal sex. Now, Hollywood is not is not parsing out the difference between anal sex and meaningful anal sex. In fact, Hollywood is not parsing out the difference between heterosexual sex. And meaningful heterosexual sex. God damn it. Take another drink. The reality of it is that this head, for people just listening, I'm pointing to the head, starts to control the nature of the game. So we do what we think we should do. That's in the worst case. In the best case, we do what we think our partner might like. That's good. But the reality of it is sex in my mind is best pursued is best performed if pursued semi-selfishly. I was having sex with some woman and she goes, I'm about to have an orgasm. Like she was checking with me to see if it was okay. I was like, don't fight the fucking feel it. I mean, you know, we're 37 minutes in. Now nah, I'm Superman, but I'm not. Come on, give me a fuck, cut me a fucking some slack. If you all this work I'm doing is to get you to that end. She goes, oh, oh, okay. And she had an orgasm because you can have more than one. Fine. Meaningful. Hollywood is not, I mean, because who among us can actually get around to to being able to embrace the full promise of intuitive sexuality? Not shit that's in here that's from movies made by people who don't even give a shit about sexuality. And that know that they can get away with selling some cheap shop-worn item rather than the real thing. Or as close to the real thing as you might get in a cinematic secondhand depiction of it. But if you can flush all that stuff out of your head. And just answer your personal perverted dictates. Without having to be secret about it. So the benefit of me being me is that anybody who's approached me for these reasons has been pretty clear that he probably spends a lot of his time doing exactly what he wants when he's not at work, which I can't, you know, everybody's got to work. We all have boundaries on our behavior. But right now, any movie that tries to sell you on heterosexual sex does it cheaply, badly, or dishonestly. And if you could come up with a counterexample that doesn't fit that bill, I want to fucking see it. Now, there's some that deal with sexuality in a way where sexuality is not the point. Peter Greenaway and the thief, the cook, the wife, and the lover, that's a great story. That happens to include sexuality. Uh, Isabel Hooper as the, uh, you know, the people in the S&M relationship, that was also pretty fucking good. Neither one of these were American movies. So, uh, you know, I I I... I you know, what we're given is cheap and shopworn. What we'll take is, I mean, what they do well, is thrillers and action movies for men. The machismo, you know, the thing is, they say, well, look, if we let you guys, if we let you guys give you free reign, and this is where toxic masculinity comes from. No, toxic masculinity comes from the cheap, shopworn bullshit stuff. You know, I, I, I really can't talk about this without going into greater personal detail. When I do the sex column, I try not to, the differences. I used to do one for Code magazine called Ask Huge. I used to leave in a lot of my personal narrative, and I realized how hurtful that was to my, maid, my ex-wife. Um, so I don't do that now. Uh, but you all know, because I'm telling you so that a lot of that sh- answers are informed by my personal fucking experience. But it's not about me. It's about me helping you, whoever writes in. And those of you who listen to the show have been very helpful uh, sending in questions because I, I, I need them usually every two weeks. So feel free to send them in. It doesn't have to be your questions. You can ask somebody else's questions. I need questions. I don't like making them up at all. Don't do it. So machismo is what we get. And we get sold at. And of course, they sell us machismo because it makes us e- it makes it easy to di- d- dismiss the guys who fall for machismo. Those guys are easy to dismiss unless they're rich. Easy. So it's kind of fucking us up. But I would really I think I think if I could write this book in the way I think I could make it. I think I I could revolutionize how people understand heterosexual male sexuality because I don't see examples of it in movies now. Meaningful, what did she say? What did she mean when she said meaningful? She used that word meaningful in any way that that word meaningful might have been used. Any dictionary definition of meaningful is probably what she meant. You know, driven by true passion, meaning is found quite easily. It's like catching a wave. You can act like you're catching a wave, but you can really catch the fucking wave. But we're not being served by media. Anyway, enough of that. UFC fight night 153. And, you know, the race thing is going to tie into the boxing thing, which I want to get into. I promise a little bit of talk of race. As you well know, race really bores the fuck out of me. But I'm willing to talk about it in a, in a very amusing way. But UFC Fight Night 153, um, I didn't, oh, oh, I see some notes. Which story? finished What story did I not finish? <laughs> uh, which story, man? You? I'm sorry, which story? You said finish the story, please. Which one? Just tweet it to, to me in the DM and I, I, I'll figure it out. I'm sorry. If I left somebody hanging, I think it, just tell me which story; it'll come up during the show. So, uh, UFC Fight Night one fifty three. Um, last week was my anniversary. Uh, Let's celebrate the year, celebrate the day that I actually first laid eyes on on my wife, which happens to be May twenty fifth. Uh, Golden State defeats Toronto. Okay. Well that's it. But the uh one of you just tell me what story is. So uh last week I was doing uh anniversary stuff. Not just the day that we got married, the day that we had sex. I don't want to get caught up in all that. I wanna get caught up in the basic the day I laid eyes on you. May twenty the story that you that you try not to go into detail about. <laughs> um well, I did. I we we got to the meaningful portion, and I think that that, that was pretty much the conclusion. There's another one that I that, uh, that I think that I was edging around, but that's it, out of my mind right now, and, I, and I, it it it's not point. It's it's it, tangent. Um, it, it, I'll, I'll tell it next week, <laughs> like Chuck Berry said. Um. So, um, I we didn't we there was anniversary weekend last weekend, but and right now I'm looking at the cards. So, um, but um, we so we didn't do a care don't care preview for the fights, but it didn't matter. There was a lot of stuff on the on UFC Fight Night 153 that we didn't care about. But let's go down. We can go down, and as usual, we're not going to go through the ones we didn't care about. But this one is pretty simple. We're going to start at the top and talk about that. First of all, we're almost done. Uh Alexander Rijic is a known associate, known associate, friend of Knuckle Up uh, via uh, by proxy. So that is what makes you a known associate. Uh, Robert uh, Roberto Pastouche, his ground coach, uh, is a, 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 a Sorrell Academy team affiliate, and is a guy that we used to train with. Um, so. That's infuriating. Um, so, Rachel is his guy. I don't know how to pronounce his name correctly. I, it, it just, it just, it just infuriates me. Why don't you hang it, Eugene? Yeah, well, you're about to see Eugene flip out, much like uh, uh, Orson Welles in uh, Citizen Kane. So, um, so he he knocked out. Jimmy Manoa in uh, 42 seconds of the first round, punch kick, and I would had I done the uh, the preview, I would have picked him because he's a known associate, the guy's on a tear, and he's exactly the kind of young blood. Listen, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Johnny Boney Joni will be beaten someday. This is not boxing. He will be beaten someday. And my intent is to stay there long enough, not because I dislike the guy, not because I want to see him get older and, and diminish, but because I want to see I want to see who finds I see holes in Johnny Boney Jr.'s game, but I haven't seen anybody who's been able to capitalize on those holes making them not holes, right? Not holes. If it's a hole and you can't capitalize on the hole, it's not a hole. It's a trap. So somebody like Rechich, you know, the guy just around, you know, there are a lot of young Turks who are going to try, like, like uh, uh, Couture used to say, try to put knots on your head. Rechich is a guy who might be that guy. Who knows? But uh, right now, light heavyweight, things are pretty interesting. Unless you happen to be Alexander Gustafson. Now, this was an early fight. Yeah, adding to the don't care portion, I had to take the car in for servicing. Routine maintenance, did it. We'll start watching the fight there. Got over to Sorrell's, put the fight on, on the phone, up on the mats, and we watched between rolls. In the 30-second or 60-second uh, between rolls, we watched, and then we went back to rolling. Now, this fight was a fight lacking significance, like the John Nash significance ratio. And in a lot of degrees, both these guys were were nice guys, liked each other, it seemed, and were voicing similar discontent. Like, I don't really know. I would have thought that Gustafson would have embraced his role as an executive level gatekeeper and go, that's where I am now. But it seems like, like he said post facto, it's not why he's here. You're lying on your back in the church looking at the roof, and it hurts. The first one, okay, I was robbed. Providence turned its back on me. I was fucking robbed against B- Johnny Boney Joni. Yeah, yeah, he's saying all that shit about how he was partying and he wasn't ready. I don't buy it. Sounds like the, ex- the mealy mouth excuse of a guy who almost got his ass kicked. Yeah, until a second fight. And it seemed like that was pretty much the, the truth. Not taking another number in the fucking Phantom Toll booth, bro. Not doing it. I'm, like, pulling the ripcord like Johnny Utah. I'm out. And, and Johnny Johnny himself is really kind of a perfect sadist. He's like Reinhard Heydrich of, 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 MMA, of MMA, by which I mean very specifically. That the best or worst kind of sadists are the ones that have no idea that they're being sadistic. I'll touch him. My whole family was killed in you. Uh, I'll catch him. So Johnny Boni Joni in a gesture that I think was really in a goodwill gesture. text tweeted afterward, I don't believe him. Mauler's a warrior. He'll be back. what, man? You're not listening to him. See, we would call this in comedy a callback to the sexuality discussion about heterosexual men not being listened to, it's easy not to listen to heterosexual men because nobody's saying anything. And also, i tell you something else to go back, to double back to the sex topic. It would be hard to make a, to make a movie or cinematic work of art depicting successful successful um, uh, uh, heterosexual male sexuality without, because who cares about that? I mean, there's a reason why James Bond is kind of a cartoon or mutated into what he is now, which is kind of a Daniel Craig-esque sob sister. Do you know what I mean? Let me explain to you As, as a tangential aside. If you were to take a guy like James Bond, but not cheese ball, but has so much game that he just has sex with a lot of different women. Women won't like it, even if the guy is not playing. Even if he doesn't, you know, they say, oh, he's a player. He's got game. It's not a game. I'm not playing. This is deadly fucking serious. You're getting some insight now, what you're asking for, insight into how I think and approach this. This is no game. I'm not playing. This is deadly fucking serious. By which I mean, if I reject you, It is because I've made a determination that there is no romantic possibility of foot here. And that shit hurts. Not because I'm fucking up. Not because I'm a jackass. Not because I just want to fucking bone your best friend. Not because any of that stupid shit. It's like for a period of time, it's like in in Hellraiser Part 2, where that big black spotlight shoots over the landscape of hell. And when it passes over you, you're filled with the darkest, moribund, horror, emptiness, isolation, the worst feeling ever. That's not this, but it's like that same thing. When a spotlight of meaningful, direct, uh, 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 non-game-playing, not a gamer, not a player, turns on you, that's a very serious fucking moment. I've had women come back to me because they realized that they had that moment and they were wanting in that moment and they want to relitigate that moment. It's impossible. More often, the subtext for this is you had your chance. You had your chance. I came to you complete. Dharma gates are endless. My connection to you was complete and total and direct and honest. And you fucking were doing some TV shit with me. Out. Out, out, out. O W T, out. Like Fred Flintstone says. So anyway, I mean, it, he says to uh, 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 Gustafson, "Cause you'll be back." And he doesn't even really, realize. I understand. I think it was, it was, it was, well intentioned. But you're not listening to Gustafson, who said, "I'm not here for the money. I'm not. I'm here for one reason and one reason only: to fight the best, to prove that I am the best, and I have now had ample opportunity." To see that I am not the best and I need you to leave me the fuck alone in that moment and let me go my way Johnny Boney Jones go he'll be back to what anything I need to learn about myself I have now at present already learned and that is very specifically I am not the best thought I was I'm not good luck to you I hope I hope he does what very what very few have made, uh, been able to do. Randy Couture has done it wonderfully. Chuck Liddell, not so wonderfully. And that's just a fucking walk away. We did the Care, Don't Care preview for this next coming weekend. Uh, the Donald Cerrone, Tony Ferguson, you know, Shrachanko, and the, all the, this big fight. June this is a big fight. Um, and we talked about it. And, you know, John Nash was like, well, then dude's gonna run out of money. He's only thirty-two. Yeah, he could run up into that Mayweather spot. Ends up not having money. He's like, Jesus Christ, bro! I gotta, I gotta have some money. Hey, listen, I got a question for y'all who, uh, who are and you can answer in the in the DM. You oh, can answer the DM. But uh, I think my phone, my Apple, is finally fucking sort of fucking up and cracked, and it's probably time. I'm gonna hold out until twenty twenty because I'm not impressed at all. With the current iphone offerings uh is that wise those of you if you're any apple mac fan or iphone fans should i wait until 2020 i used to work there too so i got insiders but uh um, or is if i were to get one upgrade from this what the fuck is this i have i can't even read it Uh, i think it's a 6s what should i get anyway think about it as an aside so uh, so he says, he come back, dude needs to go, needs to go, needs to go. Anthony Smith, is, this is a, the peril of, of being Achilles because uh, Gustafson has not met with a lot of adversity, but the adversity that he's met with has been like that black, that black spotlight, very direct and revealing of everything he doesn't want revealed about his skill set. Done. let him be done. Now, Smith, who's had a lot of adversity, like Nash said, nobody thought that this guy was going to, don't want to wait until 22, XR, changed my life. Okay, XR, iPhone XR, all right, all right, right. what size, is there anything else I need to know? Anyway, um, you know, Anthony Smith has a lot, he's one of those cats, uh, he's got got that Kane element going, not Kane Velasquez, Kane and the Kane and Abel. He had enough adversity. He was cut. Nobody thought he was shit, and they was there. Now that's a lot of stuff to push up against, too. And by the time you get in there, you're a different person than when you were at the bottom of that hill. And he's got—he's 30 years old. He's got a healthier run. He's smart right now and knows looking uphill is not where he needs to be looking. He needs to beat back challenges. He's not an executive level gatekeeper. He's a guy still in the running. He needs to turn around. He needs to fight a rakeach. Uh, 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 he needs to fight a, he was already beat by Santos, so maybe he needs to fight a Johnny Walker Red. He needs to, you, look, it's a, you, you you know, you. what is that thing from Apocalypse Now? You're in the boat, or you're out of the boat. If you're in the boat, stay in for the fucking ride. Never get out the boat. Can't quit if you don't, you can't lose if you don't quit. Well, that's not really true, but, you know, so you know, Gustafson realize I'm losing and therefore I'm quitting. So it's a, it's a little bit different. So Smith was great. So and we talked about Raychich. and then what were the other fights that were worth a damn on the card uh, that I, I don't really because I want to get into nothing really. this strike in my mind. You know we I, I talked about and care don't care if you really care. She Steph wanted us to talk about four fights on the card. Two we just talked about the other. You're drunk by now. If you're drinking every time the poster falls, this is probably a first, a five-time show. Uh, but the other two fights that she cared about, you can listen to on the care. don't care. I don't care. I'm looking at them now and I don't care to go over to Devin Clark and Darko Stus I don't I don't care, really, right? Uh Joel Alvarez versus Danilo Bellado, I don't re- really care. So that so we're done. But the boxing thing, the what I loved about I was trying to explain to the guys at, at jiu-jitsu and women at jiu-jitsu today. I was like trying to say that there there's a weird racial component. And Chris Rock had done this thing where he was interviewing black boxers. What happened to all the white boxers? They go, I don't know. Have you ever fought a white boxer? I don't, I don't really think so. He said, well, do you think you would ever get beaten by a white boxer? And like, no. And that's the reason why boxing is kind of where it is now and why one of the reasons early on I said that I thought MMA – was going to do really well because there's a sport in which you know non-black guys could be fucking competitive right so it seems to have worked out uh, but the reality of it is there's still weird racial components and not just racial components but just mat na- everything you see in a large scale you see rich small which is why we study fucking combat sports we're looking for larger lessons much like the platonic triad and making the sense world out of the ideas of the good the true and the beautiful so I know when they got into that ring, that Ruiz looked across that ring, of, no way am I going to be beat by a fucking Brit. Now, I'm sorry. The most combative, dangerous people on this earth, by my estimation, and the places I've traveled to, Americans and Brits are on some other level shit. You know, when my leg was fucked up, I was in a bar, De Teufel, in Amsterdam. And these two guys were just talking to each other. One guy was fucking hogging the chair like he was crazy, like like he was. So he gets up. I'm waiting. And my leg is pulsing. And he gets up and he walks to the bathroom and I go sit down in the chair. And his buddy comes and tells me he goes like, oh my friend. I go, is his name on it? And the guy goes, well, I said, I'll tell you what. When he comes back, maybe I'll give him his chair back. So the guy comes back. He goes, oh, that's that's my chair. And I go, is your name on it? And the guy goes, no, it's my chair. And then he gets hostile. Now, if somebody says it to me, I laugh. And I say, you know what? You seem like a nice older gentleman. You can have the chair. And then I would go, oh, oh, no, not doing that to me. The chair is your, you take that fucking chair. But the guy came at me with, uh, came at me with this, uh, what was my, and I said, you got your, it's your name on it. No, it's not. He said, well, I got this cane. And I've been seeing you stand, sit in this fucking chair for 45 fucking minutes. Anything you had to say to him, you probably already said. Or at the very least, you could say standing up. So I'm not getting out of the chair. And the guy stood there for a second talking to his friend. He's like trying to mad dog me. And I'm not, I'm there alone. I was there with the rest of the oxbow. They left. I'm just sitting there alone, enjoying the sights. And the guy's like two feet from me, kind of mad, trying to mad dog at me. And I'm just looking at him, enjoying my drink. What? Now, I could do that in Amsterdam. I guarantee you, if I did that in fucking England or Scotland or Ireland, they would be fighting afoot. Or New York or Philly or North Carolina fighting afoot. We're a little bit different. A little bit different. So I know Ruiz looked over there and goes, No way am I gonna let a Brit because the popular media conception of pip pip Cheerio or spot of tea and all that. You know, if you've ever been over there, no <laughs> friend of mine. A good friend of mine is in London. He's like, Oh, Eugene, man, I, I fucking got bottled. I go, Bottled? What the fuck is that? I never even heard of that. What do you mean, bottled? He was drinking with some guy. The guy says, Hey, hey, you want to go out and do some line of Coke? Yeah, sure. They go outside. This guy was one of London shoot fighters. They go outside, do some Coke. They do some Coke. They stand there drinking, talking. Next thing he you knows, the guy takes his mug, smashes him across the face with it. What the fuck? I go, What did you say before that? Nothing. It's a thing now. People just bottle each other. It's not like the movies. It's not like they get cling and the thing breaks. Fuck it, man. Fucking had to fight the guy to the ground. There was no reason for it. But I—that's the reality. But the popular media conception of is like a little Lord Fauntleroy and then the press conferences. You know, Joshua's man. I'm going to. Ah. Fucking dude, people were going crazy in the neighborhood last night. They were supremely happy. All the combat sports fans were supremely happy. I was happy because physically, Ruiz, if he was next to me in this bar and told me he was a heavyweight champion of the earth, I would give him that woman look. You ever see women, they do it. I love it when they do it with each other. You you come in and the other women in the club will look at you and they'll, if they catch your eye, they'll look at you and they go like this. They look in your eyes. And they look down at your your shoes and then back up. And by the time they get their eyes back up to your eyes, if you're a woman, what they see, what they are transmitting with their eyes, it will tell you whether your outfit wins or not. You look in the eyes and look down and look up and by the go, bitch, think she cute. <laughs> that means your outfit is good. <laughs> bitch, think she cute. That means your outfit is good. They look in the eyes and they look down and like book back up. And if your outfit is jacked up and you're a woman, they don't. There's no contempt for you there. It's like, <laughs> that's it. That means you need to turn around and go home and change that shit because you have been dismissed. So Anthony Ruiz is next. To you at a bar and says, "Hey, yeah, I'm a heavyweight champion of the world." You take a look. You look at him up. You look at that. <laughs> yeah, okay, bro. Show y'all. Show y'all. So, it, it, I mean, so it just felt nice for, to, I mean, it, it's been a long time since it's a butter bean. It just felt nice for the guy who, you know, who's looking as non-alpha as alpha could be, come up, step up to the fucking post and go, I got something for you, Jack. The handsome Anthony Joshua, you know, got his whole shit going on. But, you know, Steph said it best. guys got defensive holes and somebody who was a, fucking banger was going to bang through him, and that's just what happened. That was a great fight. Great fight and easy to see. I'd have to pay anything to do it either. <laughs> hey, Baldwin, that one's for you. Anyway, that's the end of the show. I've got five minutes over. I'm about to die. I don't know. I ate something, some rat poison, something. Anyway, this is v 67 I'm your host, Eugene S. Robinson. We've been all over the field. Listen, I got to say... And I'm not saying this to be a tough guy. I'm not saying this to fucking fuck around with you. But um, the take via patreon.com slash the stomper for May, for May was down from April. How much down, Eugene? Probably about $80. What that means is through a combination of people canceling their sponsorship. Some people just do it like a one-time thing. That's a one time thing I'll do it. I don't want do fucking Eugene taking the front of my card every month. So it's a lot of people stepping out. It's like, I gave you 20 bucks here. So We're fucking out. And you're right. But it's a down 80 bucks. Whatever. You don't have to pay for this. It's free. But if you want to, and you can, you should. Some of you have been texting me, tweeting me that you got paid. That's cool. Look, I don't want you to have to choose between me and paying fucking rent easily. I'll do this for you for free then. But if you got it, it'd be cool. Hence, Roma Raider, listener, viewer, gave me the blue ball. He just ordered. He said, I got you some stands and a light, because right now I got one light on a fucking on a bunch of blankets and the other one on a space heater. Why? Because Kasha took the stands away because she uses them professionally. It hurts, not mine. But he got me some stands. So maybe the lights will be better and not so chilly and icy now. So if you can have June end up being like a cool month, it's a short month, patreon.com slash thestomper would be nice. If you can spare it, that'd be cool. Otherwise, go up, hit the little ding dong button on the top right, notifies you if we have other shows. Kasha was wanting to do You Kill Me Tonight so we could talk about Rocket Man, but I don't think we're going to do it tonight because I'm starving to death. I got to eat. And I'm feeling kind of peaked and we'll get to it. We've seen a couple movies. So, we can maybe do it next week. Uh, tomorrow, sex with Eugene at ozzy.com. I'm going to tweet it out. So, if, you get, if you're at Eugene S. Robinson on Twitter, you'll get it. Um, Mr. Sleep, the number three at Instagram, but it's gate kept there. Insta, uh, to, Twitter is a free for all. Instagram is still gate kept. Facebook.com slash uh oxbow for the music that's still open perpetually i guess facebook.com slash stomperville if you want to go to or mma patroller 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 Patrollers. june puts his stuff up but that's the end of the show thanks for listening we'll see you monday night she'll go live with the care don't care tuesday at 720 we do we were having technical problems the other night we'll do if i did it all but immediately by if the shoes fit and then next Sunday again, back after June 8th fights, June 9th, uh, we will do another showstopper, B68. Take care of yourselves. Be careful. We'll see you soon. Look what you made me do!